The following sermon is from Evangel Temple Youth Ministries. For more information about how you can get involved, please visit etchurch.org forward slash youth. We are in this series right now called Identities Revealed. And you can see there at the bottom, living out your identity as you grow to understand Christ. There's this like dual aspect of identities kind of being formed as, as you're reading the Gospel of Mark, which we're going through, um, through the entire book. We're actually almost done. We're at chapter 15 right now, so you can turn there real quick, you know, get there. Um, that's where we're going to be at, chapter 15, um, but we've made it really far through the Gospel of Mark, and as we've been reading it, uh, we see simultaneously the uh, identity of Jesus and who he is being revealed. And at the same time, you see People's identity, people around Jesus, their identity being revealed as well. Some of them, uh, are their identity is being revealed that they are rejecting him as Messiah, as he is being shown to be the great healer, the great physician, the, um, the mighty counselor, right? All these different things. He's, people are finding out, well, this is the Messiah, this is the Son of God. This is the, the one that we've uh, heard prophecies about, that he would come. And um, so this is being shown to people and how people respond really does say something to their own identity, whether they are a follower of Christ or they're not. And so we are looking at um, identities revealed. As we look at then, uh, putting it into our court, uh, putting it into our lives today, 21st century Christianity, as Jesus' identity is being revealed to each one of us, how do we respond to that? And how we do, I think, kind of reveals who we are. Are we a follower of Christ or not? Do we accept him as Lord and therefore live in such a way that he is? Or do we um, not live as he is your Lord and your Savior and your God and your everything and your priority? Are you not living that way and therefore your identity is also kind of being revealed? And we should be honest about that. Because I think too much of the time we hear people saying, I'm a Christian. But then you're like, Where, where's that again in the, in the lifestyle? And so uh, we, we really need to look at, well... What is my identity, and is it being revealed to everyone else? So we're going through the book of Mark, and this particular sermon tonight, I want to call it the perfect storm. The perfect storm, if you're writing notes down or whatever, you can, you can write it. If, if you've got a journal here, um, a Mark journal, you can write it on that little right-hand side in Mark chapter 15, the perfect storm. Uh, who know, who's ever heard that terminology? Or is it an idiom? Maybe that's not an idiom. I think it might be. Um, I don't know. I'm not an English teacher. Uh, I don't even know that's English. Uh, anyway, <laughs> the perfect storm. You all have heard it, a couple of you guys. It's where this, it's at this point where multiple things that uh, wouldn't normally happen at the same time, uh, it's kind of a rarity that it would come about that these all things would line up and they would happen at the exact same time and therefore cause the perfect storm, this horrible thing to happen uh, because it was just one in a million chance that these few things would all happen at the same time. They would all line up and therefore cause a perfect storm. And so um, an example is you would, people would talk about the, the perfect storm uh, would be like a tornado, okay? Um, it's really only two things lining up. If you've got like a and I'm not a meteorologist either, as well as not being an English teacher, but I think this is what it is. Whenever you got a cold front and a hot hunt, a hot, hunt, um, a hot front, um, kind of clash maybe, or maybe one goes under and over, I don't know, but it's a perfect storm uh, where if this happens, 
perfectly or in just the right way with the um, high enough wind that, that would be happening at the time, then it would cause this um, spinning of the wind, and then it would become a tornado, of course. Um, it's just the right way or just the right circumstances that would cause a tornado. One actually just, I don't know if it actually happened. You guys know, like, what, two weeks ago, three weeks ago? Did the tornado actually touch down in Springfield? It did. It did. Yeah, okay, so it, good, good. So my story isn't just completely exempt, and I have to figure out how to go without it. Um, so there was a tornado warning, not just a watch, tornado warning, like three weeks ago. I don't know when it was exactly. And, uh, and I don't even know why. I didn't even tell you all the story, but I, I, it was like midnight, I think, and so I was already passed out uh, hours before because I'm old like that, and um, and I thought it was actually my my 6.30 alarm, and so, like, I, I click on my phone, and I try to go back to sleep, and it doesn't stop. Like, Amber Alerts, they don't stop. Like, you have to really work to click to, you know, turn off, um, and so I was trying to turn off this tornado warning alarm, and I was like, I finally clicked it off, and then Sarah's goes off, and mine goes off again, and I'm like, oh, my goodness, Lord, help me. If I, and Sarah's like, Isaac, you need to get up. And I was like, I know, give me 10 more minutes. And she goes, no, it's a tornado warning. And so uh, anyway, we finally get up, and we have to, like, walk across Evangel uh, University's campus. And um, if you would, I don't really have the time this week, but if you could just, like, file a complaint that's, that people have to walk across that campus uh, during a tornado warning, I would appreciate it because I was a victim to this. Um <laughs> But I had to walk across the campus with my wife, and we could have gotten swept away by a tornado, uh, but we didn't. But when we were walking, it was incredible, okay? So when we went to bed that night, when I got home, it was freezing. I mean, it's, it's, it was January at the time. So it's cold, right? I mean, it was like low 30s, 20s, maybe. I don't know. It was probably in the 20s. When we walked out at midnight, okay? Night's usually the coldest time. When we walked out at midnight to get across campus and, and make that hike, uh, it was like high 50s. I don't know, how, how, what was it? It was like high 50s, low 60s. I mean, it was so comfortable. I was like, I was wearing sweatpants and, and a hoodie and a, and a stocking hat. You know, I was like expecting this long trek and, you know, I planned the food and everything. Uh, but I walked outside and I was about to say, hey, let's go change real quick. I need some basketball shorts and a t-shirt because it was so warm out. And so I was like, okay, this is actually legit then. Uh, so we're walking on, it's like the calm of the storm and it's not like, it's not bad at all. Um, super warm, though. And so Sarah's, like, sprinting. She's like, Isaac, hurry up. And I'm like, this is amazing. And I'm, like, just strolling. And uh, so, yeah, I was just enjoying it. It was super cool. But it's, like, January, like, midnight, and it's, like, 57 degrees outside. And I was like, wow. Can you see this? You know, like, just walking around. Um, so we had to stay in this, like, downstairs area for, like, 20 minutes, maybe, like, 45 minutes. And then they came up and the announcer, okay, you guys are clear, walk across campus again, and when we walked across campus the second time, 45 minutes later, I was freezing in my hoodie and my sweatpants. Uh, I have no idea how much it dropped, but it dropped a significant amount, a crazy amount. Um, the perfect storm. All oh, to get back there and just make the full roundabout. The perfect storm. I mean, it, that's what it, uh, it's the perfect things that line up to make a perfect storm. All that to say, that's my title <laughs> of my sermon. Man, I gotta, I gotta go quicker. Um, so this, this perfect storm that I'm going to talk about tonight, briefly, um, it's not a bad thing. It's, it's not a bad thing at all, but it was just the best terminology I could come up with for this, for this uh, title. 
The perfect storm to make somebody live for Jesus Christ. Have you ever thought, like, what does it take? What are the things um, that would happen to somebody that they would be like, you know what, I want to live for Jesus. I'm sold out for Jesus. I'm passionate about Jesus. I'm going to live for Jesus. I'm going to do everything I can to put him at my priority or first place in my life. You know, what is the perfect storm, so to speak, you know, uh, the perfect alignment of things, the, the right things to happen that somebody would be sold out for Jesus? What is the perfect storm? I think a lot of churches and people, you know, are like, okay, well, we need, we need the lights, we need the, we need the fog, we need, we need this, and we need that, and this is the perfect storm to make somebody sold out for Jesus, but I think those are short-term, short-term uh, whatever, to make somebody in love with Jesus. I think it might be like this emotional high, and you walk out, and you're still struggling, and Jesus really isn't that much to you. Like a, I'm, so I'm talking like a real, sold out, a true love for Jesus that's deep down in your heart that's going to um, endure 30 minutes past a worship service. Like what is like a real perfect storm that would just, that would last, that would endure years through somebody's life to love Jesus? And so maybe you're thinking for yourself, like, oh, I want this formula. I want this perfect storm. I want to know this for my friend. I want them to really fall in love with Jesus. And they, and they don't love Jesus right now. Or, or maybe it's you. And you're like, you know what, I, I really do, know, I do need to know what is, what, what is it that I'm missing because I'm really not sold out for Jesus. I'm not loving uh, to live for Jesus. I'm not passionate about, you know what, I really do want to make him my everything. That, that's all I care about. You know, that's not me, and, and I'd like it to be. Um, what am I missing? Um, and so I kind of want to talk about that, the perfect storm, if you will, but really the, the things that are so necessary to make somebody just passionate about living for Jesus. Uh, and we see that in Mark chapter 15. But my main point really, uh, it's like a one bullet, two point main point, but living for Jesus requires, I think, seeing the evil in your sin, and two, seeing the love in his sacrifice. I think if you've got these two, these together, when they collide, when they are simultaneous, when they happen at the exact same time, when they are, are together and coupled, when you are so aware, when you so, see so clearly your evil of your sin, the evil, the depths of your sin as being so evil and you're disgusted by your sin and you're disgusted with the, the struggle that you have, you are horrified with it. When you are so aware of your sin and you are all equally aware of his love and his willingness to love you despite your sin and his, the depth of how much he cares for you and how much uh, he would, what he would do for you, the extent that he would go to love you and to be with you, if you are so utterly aware of both of these, your sin and his love, that, I think, together, the perfect storm produces a long-term, true, deep love for Jesus that will make you live for him. And so whether it be your friend or you, if you're like, man, I don't know what it is, but I'm just not living for Jesus. Well, maybe you're missing one of these two. Maybe you really don't see the evil in, in, in your sin. Maybe you don't see your need for a savior. Maybe you don't see how much you need Jesus. Maybe you don't see your depravity. Maybe you don't see that it's that big of a deal, the sin that you're dealing with, or, or the struggle that's in your life, or whatever the condition is in your life. Maybe you don't really realize um, your need for a God that would save you and, 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 and be there for you. Maybe you don't see that. Um, or maybe the other one is that you just don't see the love of his sacrifice, how much he truly does care for you, how much he really would do for you, how much he really is willing to carry you and be there for you. Maybe you just aren't so aware of 
either one of those. Uh, and so I think, though, if you have both of those, both of those links simultaneously working together, you will be so in love with and therefore living for Jesus. And I think that's biblical. We're going to jump into, finally, um, Mark chapter 15, and it's just a short passage. Um, here, I'll go to the first slide so you can see it. Uh, Mark 15, I'm going to read it from here, but i got to turn there. There we go. Verse 33, uh, follow along. It says, And when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling to Elijah. And someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus uttered a loud cry and breathed his last. And the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. Verse 39, And when the centurion who stood facing him saw that in, in this way he breathed his last, he said, Truly, this was the Son of God. I want to focus our time together on that one verse. We're going to look at the rest of them, but I want to focus on when the centurion who stood facing him, that is Jesus, saw in this way that he breathed his last breath, he said, truly, this was the Son of God. He was convinced and therefore committed that this is the Son of God, the Lord and our Savior, the Messiah, the true King, God incarnate. He was convinced of this. Truly, this was the Son of God. And what made this man say such a thing? This guy was a centurion. He was a man that was used to seeing death, right? Okay, so picture with me, all you guys visual thinkers. This guy's like a soldier, right? Big, buff dude. Uh, he, he, he's seen death. He's seen fighting. He's seen battles. This guy's all armored up, and he's standing there, and he's watching Jesus, and he is probably, this is horrible, and it's graphic, but he has probably killed countless people. He has probably watched countless people die and breathe their last breath on a cross when they're just suffering to breathe and they suffocate to death. He's probably seen that. He's so cold to that. He's so uh, numb to it. He doesn't even care. He doesn't feel anything because he's seen so many people die. This is probably true for this guy. He's a leader of 10, or 10, 100 men. That's what a centurion is. A leader of 100 men. He's a leader, so he's elite. And so he's been in the job for a long time, probably numb to death. What made him so amazed at this particular death? Why wasn't it just a normal death? Why did this one matter? What, what, what stood out to him in this one? And I think the remaining of time, that's what I want to talk about. What made this so special to this guy? I think it was because he saw those two things. He saw the horridness and the, the utter darkness of sin by looking at the cross he saw the darkness of sin and then he also saw the love of Jesus for people he saw both of those things he saw Jesus was willing to do anything because he loved people and he also saw how dark and evil sin was so clearly on the cross 
He saw those things, and the cross is the most perfect representation of both those things working together and being a perfect storm. The cross is the perfect storm between evil and God's wrath on evil and God's love for people to restore them. The cross is the perfect storm of those two clashing. Jesus Christ was not only receiving God's wrath, but he was also showing God's infinite love at the same time. And when you see both of those, I think it's biblical that it's inevitable and you can't turn from God just calling you to say, I want you to love me, and you will. When you are so utterly aware of those two things, you can't say no. So that's what he saw, and I think that's what we should see. Um, We should be more like the centurion in seeing those two things. One, the evil of sin, and two, the darkness of sin, and two, God's unbelievable love and his sacrifice. Those are the two things I want to look at. Cool? You guys cool with that? Say cool if you're cool. 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 Let's do it. He saw the evil and sin. If you go back to the beginning, Mark chapter 15, it says, and when the sixth hour had come, that is noon, okay, the, 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 the Jewish time started at 6 a.m., um, and so at the sixth hour, that was like noontime, day, um, when the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the land until the ninth hour. So from 12 o'clock in the afternoon to 3 o'clock in the afternoon, it is dark. That's spooky. Can you say spooky? That's spooky. Yeah, it was. I, I would be scared. Just being honest, I, I, I really would be like, what's going on? You think like an eclipse, but eclipses, I think there was one last year, last like a minute, two minutes, three, I don't know, ten minutes. Not three hours, that's all I know. This one, this lasted three hours. Darkness covered the land. And I, fe- I think you could probably feel the darkness. Not just see, not just perceive, not just look around and it's dark. But you could probably feel the darkness because this was the judgment of God coming into Jerusalem, coming to Calvary, coming to the cross, and imposing God's wrath on Jesus. Darkness was Jesus, Jesus, God's wrath coming on the scene. If you go to Exodus chapter 10, when there's like the plagues in, in Egypt and everything, Exodus chapter 10 says one of the plagues was darkness. And not only could they see darkness, they couldn't see anything because it was so dark, but it said that they could even feel darkness around them. That was God's judgment on, Israel, on uh, Egypt. So that same type of just, I can feel it's pressing down on me, darkness all around me, that was experienced here in Mark chapter 15. Darkness, and you can just feel it, you can see it, it's there, it's present. And that was sin, the sin of the world, focusing, honing in on this one point where Jesus was, you could feel the darkness, the grime of sin all around you. And that man was standing right there next to Jesus. Matthew chapter 27 kind of gives us another glimpse into the same story. Uh, Matthew just gives a different perspective. And it says, But Jesus cried out again with a loud voice and gave up his spirit. Suddenly the curtain of the sanctuary had torn in two from top to bottom. The earth had quaked and the rocks were split. And so not only is there um, darkness like Mark said, but there's also an earthquake that Mark never mentions. So darkness is all around and you can just feel it just impressed on you. And there's also an earthquake that the centurion is looking around. Darkness, he feels it. There's an earthquake. Earthquake, rocks are splitting all around him. Uh, and then you can just keep 
reading, it says the tombs were also open. Many bodies of the saints had fa- who had fallen asleep were raised to life, and they came out of the tombs after the resurrection, entered the holy city, and appeared to many. This is crazy. I mean, that's just miraculous, but if you're thinking about just the rocks splitting, the earthquakes happening, the darkness, just like Exodus chapter 10, this dude was standing right next to Jesus when Jesus was experiencing hell on earth, and this guy was watching it. I mean, you've probably heard people use the term like hell on earth when they're having a really bad day or something really horrible is happening to them. I mean, this is like literal hell on earth. Like, I'm not, it's not just a, a saying. Jesus was experiencing hell, literal hell, literal hell, real hell, was focused in on Jesus and this centurion guarding Jesus, standing right there looking at Jesus, stood looking at him, had a front row seat to hell on the outside looking in and what it looked like, all the sin of this world. He could just look at it. I can't even imagine what that would be like to be looking in really to see hell right in front of you. I remember whenever I was little, like I thought I saw a demon in in my corner in my bedroom. Imagine seeing hell where demons live right in front of you. I mean, this guy really, this was right in front of him. Darkness, utter darkness. The, a vacuum without God right there. And he saw it. And it was enough to terrify him. If you, if you keep reading in Matthew chapter 27, it says, when the centurion and those with him who were keeping watch over Jesus saw the earthquake and the things that were happening, they were terrified and they said, truly, this was the Son of God. This was birthed, that, 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 that saying was birthed out of being terrified of the sin and the darkness and the horrible stuff around him. He saw the depth and the darkness of sin, his sin, our sin, the sin of the world. And he was so impressed by it. He was so, I can't believe the darkness of sin. And that pushed him to say, surely, this is the Son of God. So it makes us ask ourselves, are we so utterly aware of the sin that's in our lives? Are we so, is it so in front of us? Is it so right there, just right in front of us, the darkness and the evil of the sin that we struggle with? That we would say, surely I need the Son of God. Surely Jesus Christ is the Son of God. Are we so aware of our sin and the darkness and the evil that it is? It's essential to realize that we need Jesus. And so look, and I want to say something real quick for all you guys. This isn't a fire and brimstone sermon. Uh, It's not. Maybe maybe your grandparents have heard that in the past. uh, It was so much more common. But like, you need to believe in Jesus or you're going to hell and you're going to know it. And like, you know, the the, rapture is going to come when you're sleeping tonight. And they're like terrified when they wake up. And they're like, mom, dad, where are you guys? And they don't answer. You're like, oh, no, they left me. Like, and so I'm not trying to like scare Jesus into you. I'm not trying to like freak you out about the, the, the evil uh, and darkness of hell and therefore believe in Jesus. That's not what I'm trying to say. Actually, in fact, I think I got a quote. Do I? Yes. You cannot scare anyone into heaven. Okay, so I'm not trying to scare you into heaven. Heaven is not a place for those who are afraid of hell. It is a place for those who love God. So I'm not trying to scare you into heaven. I'm not trying to freak you out enough to love Jesus. But seeing the evil in our sins is part of the perfect storm of loving Jesus and knowing that you need him and knowing that 
he's so necessary for us, when we are so utterly aware of the sin that's in front of us, when we are so aware of the darkness that is in our lives, that's all around us, that's surrounding us, when we're so aware of it, we realize we need Jesus. So if you're not sold out for Jesus, maybe, maybe it's that you're not realizing how much you need him and how much darkness there is in your life and how evil the sin is that you're struggling with. Maybe that's, maybe that's the, the kink in the hose, if you will. You don't see the darkness of the evil, of the sin in your life. The centurion did. He was so aware of the sin that was surrounding him that had just focused in on and honed in on, on that hill that he was on because he was next to Jesus. He was so aware of it. And we really need to be as well in our own lives. So, the next thing was that I think he realized how much Jesus loved people. Jesus wasn't on the cross because he was loving it. He was on the cross because he loved people. And he was willing to endure all that he endured because he loved them so much. If you go back to the text, Mark, Mark chapter 15, Marky Mark chapter 15. <laughs> it says that some of the bystanders hearing it said, Behold, he is calling Elijah. And, and someone ran and filled a sponge with sour wine, put it on a reed, and gave it to him to drink, saying, Wait, let us see whether Elijah will come to take him down. They were making fun of him. Okay, they were, they were joking. They weren't actually serious. Like, oh, I wonder if he's talking to Elijah. Aloy, Aloy, like they, they were standing right there. And that meant, my God, my God. And they're like, is that Elijah you're saying? Like, no, they actually, they, they heard what he was saying. They were making fun of him. So he was enduring not only people making fun of him, but that's, that's nothing. People making fun of Jesus is nothing in comparison to what the verse before it says. It says, in the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice, Eloi, Eloi, lema sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God had forsaken, God the Father had forsaken, had left, had abandoned, had turned his face from, had rejected, whatever word you want to throw in there, Jesus, completely, fully, entirely. He rejected him. Because of the sin that had all came on Jesus, God the Father rejected and turned away from Jesus. Why have you forsaken me? He took onto himself everyone's sin and the consequences of them. If you look at uh, Isaiah chapter 53, it says the Lord has punished him for the iniquities of us all. Jesus was filled with everyone's sin, past, present, future, everyone in this room if you profess the name of Jesus, if you are one of his children, he bore your sin. If you love Jesus, if you are following him, he took on your sin, past, present, future, everyone before you, everyone that will come after us, he took on all of that sin all at once. And there's another example, 1 Peter 2, chapter, chapter 2, verse 24. It says, he himself bore our sins in his body on that tree. He took it all onto himself so that having died to sin, we might live for righteousness. So can you just imagine? I mean, you're thinking like Mark chapter 5, the demoniac. He had, I don't know how many demons in him. Jesus had the sins of the world all at once. Can you just imagine the weight and the pain and the agony and the hurting that he had experienced far more than anyone else the centurion had ever seen? All in the name of loving people. Can you just imagine the evil that he soaked in? The horrid sin that he took on because of us. The things that we have done. The things that we have thought. He took it in him. And the centurion was blown away with how much he loved and was willing to sacrifice for people. 
It actually shows, I think I have it. Maybe I don't. I don't have it. Luke, uh, sorry, I, I made this really quick. Luke chapter 23, if you want to write it down. Luke chapter 23, verse 47. Uh, I actually don't have it memorized, but I had it just written down really quick. Um, it says that the centurion, a different perspective of this happening, the centurion celebrated and praised Jesus for what he had done. He said, surely this is the son of God. This man is the son of God. And it says that he starts to praise Jesus and worship Jesus. Not only was he confronted with the sin and the evil, the vile things of this world, and it pointed him to saying, you know, I need a savior. Like we should see the sins of this world, how our own sins, we should so be, we should so be aware of the sin in our lives that we need a savior, but he also saw the love of Jesus that was more than anyone else he could ever imagine, more than anyone else you could ever imagine. Some, Jesus did more than we could ever fathom because he loved people. And because he saw those two things, the sin that was right in front of him, it was so horrible, it was so dark. And the love of Jesus that went so far and so wide, that went so deep for people, he was so aware of those two things. He said, surely this is the son of God. Surely this is my Lord. Surely this is God himself. So I gotta wrap up. But the centurion, he didn't live for Jesus before. He was literally crucifying Jesus at the moment, okay? He didn't love Jesus. He was literally the one acting out Jesus being crucified to death. But when he was faced with the sin in front of him and the love of Jesus, by the end of that, he was professing Jesus as Lord and Savior. If you are not living for God, if, or somebody that you know is not living for God, maybe they need to be faced with one of those two things, either the sin right in front of them, the sin in their life, and they need to be so utterly aware of the darkness that it is, the evil that it is, or they need to be so aware of the love of Jesus that goes so far beyond anyone else that we could ever imagine, and it goes so much deeper than we could ever do because he loves us so, so deeply. We need, to either, we need to be versed in one of those two things if you're not living for Jesus, if you're not sold out for Jesus, because both of those things are so essential to make the perfect storm of wanting to live for Jesus for all you've got. So if you're not, maybe you ask yourself, do you see the evil in your sin? Do you, are you so aware? The sins that you struggle with, whatever it is, everyone's different, but they're in your mind right now. Are you aware that they're evil? Are you numb to it? Are you not bothered by it anymore? Are you really not convinced that it's that bad? Maybe we need to be more like the centurion and just see the deep and darkness and impressed on our shoulders. Man, this really is horrible. This really is darkness. This really is hell on earth. This deserves God's wrath. This deserves God's punishment. Are we aware of the darkness that is our sin? Or maybe you need to ask yourselves, do I see the love of Jesus, the sacrifice that he made for me? Am I impressed by that? Am I amazed by that? Am I in awe of how much he loves me? Is, does it really actually impress me, or is it just another thing I talk about? Yeah, Jesus died for my sins, and it really actually doesn't do anything. You know, it's, it's the most amazing thing ever for me, whenever I'm talking to like an 80-year-old believer in Jesus, and they start choking up when they just start telling that Jesus Telling me that Jesus loves them. I'm like, come on, keep it together. 
But then I think about it. That is so, that's so deep. To, you guys know what I'm talking about? You've ever talked to a person and they're like, Jesus loves me. You know, and they start talking about it. Maybe we need some of that is all I'm trying to say. Maybe we need some of that. Are we so amazed by the love of God? Or are we just, uh, the centurion, he was blown away by it. He said, surely this, this is the son of God. One of those two things, because together, if we have both of them, an utter awareness of our sin and an amazement of Jesus' love, you're going to be living for him. You might stumble. We're not going to be perfect. But those two things are so necessary. So we need to ask ourselves, do we have that? If you guys want to stand up, we're going to spread out. Uh, and if we could grab those. Wherever you want to go, you can spread out across this room. Feel free to head out. I just want to say, my darkest days, yes, your youth pastor struggles with sin. Yes, your youth pastor is not perfect. Yes, I have dark days. My darkest days, though, guys, let me tell you, are days that I'm struggling with either one of these two things. Either I'm not impressed by God's love for me, and it doesn't make that big of a deal, or I'm like, eh. Or two, I'm really not that worried about the sin that I'm struggling with. It's not that big of a deal in my mind. One of those two things, if that's off, then my living for Jesus is not full force, is not passionate. I'm not really like, man, I just got to live for Jesus. And it's one of those two things. But my best days for Jesus, the, the days that I really am just sold out on wanting to live for him and do everything that I can to worship him, those days are the ones that I'm so aware of my sin, that I'm so aware of the evil and the darkness of my life. I'm so aware of my need for a savior. I am so aware of that. And I'm also aware that Jesus loves me and he would do anything for me whenever I have those two things in unison together, simultaneously just impressing on me in such a deep way it's a perfect storm where I'm like, I would do anything for you. I want to worship you and all that I've got. I want to live for you because you love me far more than I could love you. And I desperately need you because I am so sinful in myself. When those things are together, I want to live for Jesus at all I've got. And I pray that's you too. But we have, to ask our question, we have to ask ourselves the question, which one of those am I really struggling with? Do I not see my sin or do I not see his love for me? So we can start the music. And just spend some time meditating on those questions, thinking about that. If you guys would, I'll come back in 10 minutes or so, and we'll break up into groups and we'll talk about it. But really think about that because it's so important. It's the, if you will, perfect storm of living for Jesus. We hope you enjoyed this sermon. If you're not already a part of the ET family, we invite you to join us on Wednesday nights. For more information, visit etchurch.org. Thanks for listening, and we hope to see you soon.